Well, the Rockets won last night, or maybe they lost. We'll get into that and a lot more after the draft lottery. I am Jonathan Fagan. Once again, back with Danielle Lerner, triumphantly returning from hikes throughout Texas. And we are back because it's the day after the draft lottery, the day the Rockets have been looking forward to since, oh, I don't know, last year's draft lottery. They get the third pick of the draft. Uh, and I can tell you, I was in the room. Uh, there were eight media observers, and I was one of them. Uh, the Orlando Magic got the right to pick first. When the ping pong balls came out, 14, Rockets had it. One, the Rockets had it. 13, the Rockets had it. And then six, the Magic had that. And so for a minute there, if you were able to look at, you know, 1,001 different ping pong ball combinations that quickly, the Rockets had a chance at the first pick of the draft. But alas, they pick third. Danielle, how should the Rockets feel about that? I mean, I think you feel good being in the top three because that seems to be where there's the most separation among the, the prospects in this draft class. The top three are kind of their own tier. And then there's really not a big drop off after that, but it is a drop off. So the Rockets knew they were going to pick top five no matter what. I think they're happy that they didn't get four or five, that they're just within the top three. But of course, coming that close, one ping pong ball's worth, you know, t- almost almost to the number one pick. A little bit of disappointment tinged in there. That's natural. Oh, almost no one knows that. So it's not like they were sitting there, you know, Clay Allen, the Rockets general counsel who was in the room, uh, he knew. And as it turned out, Joel Glass of the Magic, who was sitting to the left of, of Clay, he didn't see the six. So he didn't really know the Magic one until Clay turned over, turned next to him and said, I think you won. Or I think that's you, is how he put it. Uh, and so it's not like the Rockets organization go, oh, man, we were so close because no one knew. All you see is where you go. But I, I really believe that and they'll never admit it. But if. The NBA went into the lottery and told Rafael Stone, you can be third. We will guarantee you the third pick, but you forfeit the chance at first. You forfeit the chance at second, but you no longer face the risk of falling to fourth or fifth. I think he would have taken that in a heartbeat. And if you look at it that way, they have to be pleased. They have to be happy. Um, And it's fortunate that it's a year where there are three guys who many people consider worthy of the first pick. There, there's a consensus of who that will and will not be, but worthy of a first pick. And they're all very, very different from Jalen Green, last year's second pick. They're all front court players. He's obviously a guard. They're all different from the big men the Rockets already have, particularly Alperin Shangun. And you could throw in all the others, which brings up some questions we'll get into. I think they're going to be very happy with Paolo Bancaro, who's most likely, we think, of the three, Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith. Yeah, I think that either of the, any of the three are going to fit with the Rockets um, just because they're such talented players. And Rafael Stone, you know, keeps saying over and over again, best player available. That's their strategy. You know, they're trying to find someone who could be a cornerstone of their franchise, whether that's in this year's draft or in upcoming drafts where they hold uh, a lot more picks, although some of those picks are not their own uh, after we get past like 2024. A lot of them belong to the Thunder. But, 
you know, regardless, if they can get a good player, that's a good player. Um, and they're not going to, as you said, sabotage Jalen Green because they're not going to get someone who's duplicating his skill set. Um, or his position in that way. But I don't really think that the Rockets particularly care about positions. Um, that being said, I do think Bancaro is going to be the one who's left over uh, at pick number three. I think Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith are probably going to go one and two in some order. So I don't think that's a, a bad thing for the Rockets. I think that they've done their homework, obviously, on all three of those guys extensively by now, and now they can really hone in on all of them and, and perhaps even one in particular. Well, and more, too, and we'll get into that in a second. But if I'm picking first, if the Rockets had won and they asked me to do it, I'd have said Jabari Smith. But in a way, you can make a case – and people kind of are acting disappointed in Paolo Bencaro as their guy. If you know, you can make an argument that right now he's the best basketball player in the draft. That that just make like as I said, I I wouldn't make him my first pick if it was up to me. But that's not so bad. If you're wait a minute, I'm taking the six ten, two hundred and fifty pound best player in the draft, which he might not be the best player in the draft two years, five years, 10 years from now. But hey, that, that, you got to feel pretty good if you're coming away with that guy. Uh, I mean, first, would you? who would you take first if you were the Rockets or if you were on the Magic and they're leaving it up to you? And how should the Rockets feel if it is Bancaro, as you predicted? I think I also would have picked Smith uh, if I were the Rockets and had the number one pick. I think that he has probably the most versatility between him and Bancaro. Chet Holmgren, I think, is a different animal in terms of the the various skill sets that he provides at his size and length. But I think Jabari Smith um, would have fit a, a little bit better. He's, he's more of a, a prototypical wing. Um, you know, the Rockets always want that shooting and kind of that tweener mold that has worked out for some of their players. But I think Bancaro is really, really good. And if you're looking for any sort of superstition whatsoever, he averaged 17.2 points per game at Duke. And that is the same average, I believe, that Jalen Green had in his rookie season with the Rockets uh, points-wise. So I don't know if you are really searching for some sort of sign. There you go. Uh, I can also say that if you're looking at number three picks from years past, uh, there are many more examples, but the two that jump out to me right now are two guys starring for the Celtics, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They were both the third picks in back-to-back years. And look where the Celtics are now. Right. And they both came with picks that the Celtics got by trading a end-of-career superstars to the Nets, as the Rockets have not necessarily with this pick or with the Jalen Green pick, but that is a big part of the Rockets' rebuilding plan is trading an end-of-career-ish Superstar for Nets picks. But that, that also brings up a couple more questions. Well, I mean, first of all, just on Jabari Smith, yeah, d- d- I agree because there is, you can imagine an upside of does this become a superstar type? 6'10 Jason Tatum. Because he, he looks like he will be an elite shooter and he seems to be that current best style of NBA player with all kinds of defensive switchability. Uh, you you can do what the teams that are winning in this year's playoffs have been doing and go with a five-out offense, which 
you know, I'm not sure how you do that with Bancaro and Changun on the court at the same time, if it comes to that. Uh, and you could switch everything and, and take away threes. That's what's winning. That's a big question the Rockets then face, uh, which is one of the reasons I liked Smith. The thing I'm wondering, though, about is a lot of people think, okay, those are the guys to take, Holmgren or Smith, because of upside. Can Holmgren be Rudy Gobert with three-point shot? Smith, we talked about, because of their upside. I mean, it's such a – the chances of any of these guys being MVP candidate players, what is that, 10% chance, 15%, 20% chance? Not great. I think last year the Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes types – Evan Mobley types had a better chance of being that. Do you base your draft on that? Or we know we've got this. He will be an all-star-ish player or has a better chance, higher probability of being that. I mean, do we get caught up too much in draft analysis of figuring out what the best the guy could possibly be without factoring in, yeah, but what are the chances of that? I mean, I think so. And I think that's all kind of part of it, right? And and certainly fans and media members are guilty of it, but I think executives can be as well. But I thought that Rafael Stone said something really interesting last night. Um, someone asked a good question about how do you take into account or how do you, much do you factor in a guy's ceiling? And he said, well, the ceiling matters, but so does the floor. So, you know, if you have a guy whose ceiling is 99, but the floor is one, then that's not a good bet. Whereas if the ceiling and the floor are much closer together, but lower down, uh, maybe that's more of a, a risk you're willing to take. But I also think sometimes you can't predict those things. Look at Alperin Shangun. He outperformed the Rockets' expectations. Certainly they knew that they wanted him for a reason. That's why they traded up into the 16th slot last year to draft him. But I don't think they could have predicted that he was going to be this quickly their guy at, at center and they're trying to help build a team around him essentially. And Josh Christopher as well is another guy who outperformed. So I think that sometimes if you just have good instincts and you like the basic skill sets that players have, it's on the organization to develop those skills and it's on those players as well to, to work hard to do that. Well, yeah. And if we're going to judge anything based on the current playoffs, the Heat are full of guys who were taken way later and exceeded what their expectations were. Jimmy Butler is going Kawhi Leonard all over these playoffs. But they're playing a bunch of guys, Vincent, Struess, who were just – they developed. So some of it you, – you don't only build your team on draft night. But going back to the combination of ceiling floor and how you weigh that, what if the Rockets view – Shaden Sharp or Jared Ivey as, okay, you know, Ivey is going to be whatever. And they view he's going to be a star at a level that they do not think one of the three big guys will be. Do they ignore positional fit and take that guy? Or knowing that, hey, Ben Carroll's going to be good, do they stick with what help fits in a building plan? How far do you go to reach for a guard? I mean, that's tough. And and with Sharp, I don't think I would necessarily do that. Um, you know, I think he's very good, but I think him not playing at all at Kentucky leaves some more question marks. Um, kind of almost similar to James Wiseman a couple of years ago where 
you know, his injury was another thing that, that, that the Warriors didn't really foresee coming, but it, it was somewhat of a risk that he only played three games at Memphis. Um, they took him anyway. He played maybe 10 games for them before getting hurt and he was good and he definitely showed promise, but you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a slam dunk decision. Um, Ivy, I think has showed and showed in, especially in the NCAA tournament that he has what it takes to be a really explosive NBA guard. I think he would be much more of a sure bet if you were going to go that route. But again, I, I don't think that at that point you are risking really slowing Jalen Green's development as much as you are saying, okay, maybe Kevin Porter Jr., you are not factoring into our plans the way that we thought you were. So I don't think they have to worry too much about slowing down Green. I think at this point, we saw that this season that he's going to get his minutes, he's going to get his buckets, they're going to find ways to accentuate his development. But I think it would impact other players on the roster. In terms of the building, though, if you do that, yeah, I think Ivy and Green could be fine together, but okay, but now you still need front court players for your future. So maybe you hold off and don't do that. But where you talked about, okay, what does that mean for Kevin Porter Jr.? What would, let's say it's Ben Carroll, what does that mean for Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, KJ Martin? You know, now if they're viewing Shangun and let's say Ben Caro as there's, there it is. There is our front court. Have we seen the end of the Christian Wood era of Rockets basketball? Maybe. Um, I don't think that. You notice I'm giving you I, I all just, the hard I just questions. Don't think that, <laughs> I know. What, what is with this today? Uh, I just I just woke up. You've been up for a while. You've been marinating on this. I think that I think that Christian Wood can has shown that he can play alongside Shingun, but I think if you're bringing in uh, another young big, you want to give that who, especially one who you think can be a star, like any of these top three guys we've discussed, you need to to give them minutes. So I think that Christian Wood would almost be relegated to uh, a very minimal, sometimes depending on matchup, off the bench role, kind of almost what Daniel Tice was last season, which obviously decreased as the year went on even. So would he be happy with that? Probably not. Is it worth keeping him around to be that kind of guy? I I don't think he comes off the bench. And no, I don't think he would be happy with it in a contract year. Uh, You could be okay, I think, with a three-big rotation uh, with Shangun Wood and Bankero. And, and even more so if it were Smith uh, because of his range shooting. Uh, and by the way, I think Ben Caro is going to develop into a, a solid range shooter for a 6'10 guy. Uh, he was at 33% on threes last year. But you look at his stroke and I, I think it's going to be, you know, you guys generally don't get a whole lot better at three-point shooting. I think he will get better. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Smith. You know, I was going to say Clay Thompson, but no, he, I don't think he's going to be Smith. As a, but I think he will be good for a big man with so many versatile offensive skills. Still, I think it would be hard to play all those guys. And when you th- start saying, okay, let's say Wood is there and you're doing those three, well, they love Tate. And if Tate can ever get his three-point shot uh, going, he brings so much. And he is a matchup problem 
for really bigs. Uh, and he's a passer as well, which obviously Shangun and Ben Caro are. You can do some things, but now how do you play them all? And then you've got Martin, who developed pretty nicely and he improved enough defensively that you can think he's going to keep improving defensively. And that doesn't even include Usman Garuba, where they're playing him as a center. And there's your switchability. If you want switch everything big man, which is what they did when he came in the game and they ran the opposite direction from doing when Shankun was in the game, how do you do it? How do you manage all those guys? And if you are saying, okay, let's move on from Christian Wood. He's going to be a free agent next summer anyway. You know, what can you get? Can can you package him with the 17th pick to move up to something? Can you package him with the third pick to move up one or two <laughs> spots? Uh, it, it sounds like it's going to be very interesting because they got the third pick last night. It, it brings up a whole lot of other decisions now that they have to make. You know, there's interest around the league, not a ton. You're not getting a super pick or something, but there's definitely interest. There was at the trade deadline for KJ Martin and especially for Jay Sean Tate. Uh, is, is something like that going to have to be in the works because they're going to add a big and they believe in the big they've already got, an opera in Shingu. There's a lot of stuff that you know is to be determined and none of which we can't predict because they can't predict. They don't know what kind of offers they're going to get. And the thing that intrigues me most is what if you package somebody to move up from 17, you know, the pick they got from the Nets? Yeah, because I think that there are plenty of good players that you could still take with that 17 pick, but the it's less of a sure thing, right, than than top three. Um, you don't know who's going to still be there, really. And as you said, are you risking, if you're trying to just take the best guys who are on the board and you have that 17, are you risking kind of overcrowding at that at various positions when you don't really know what you're going to do with all, all these veterans or semi-veterans, I guess we, we call Jay Sean Tate, um, compared to the rest of the Rockets. What are you going to do with them? So do you want to com compound your problems, uh, I guess, by just adding someone else to the mix? But I think as far as Jay Sean Tate is concerned, he probably is the most attractive to other teams. But I also think that he's shown that he's such a good fit with the Rockets specifically because of his versatility. So, I, I mean... I think he could work alongside Van Caro. He obviously works alongside Shangun. Um, I would be more hesitant to give him up than to give up either Wood or Martin. But that's my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I can see that. You know, the funny thing is, if he wasn't playing for the team with the worst record in his two years in the NBA, you'd say that guy's a winner. And so I guess he is a winner because he does the things that win games. Well, except that they haven't won games. But I don't know. Obviously, you can't put that on him. But, you know, if there's a loose ball, who's most likely to come out with it? You know, who who can switch and cover the most positions? You know, the, all the P.J. Tucker things, except for knocking down corner threes. You know, and that's where if he can ever get that, he is real. You know, first of all, then you could play him as a three and be happy with it. And, and 
That's great. With guys who can pass the way Shangun and Bankero are, are really good passers. And the nice thing about putting Shangun and Bankero, getting back to getting the third pick, it makes it really hard to send double teams at Jalen Green, where if if he becomes the kind of scorer he was in those last seven games, if that becomes like a regular thing, um, or, you know, even if he's 25 a game kind of scorer, well, maybe teams want to trap him, especially if there's questions about the Rockets' three-point shooting, which, you know, that's an area they have to improve, and this draft right now hasn't gotten that with the third pick. But it's really hard to trap him when you've got that release right there to get to a 6'10 guy who's a really good passer. And in Ben Carroll's case, terrific vision. And we've already seen that from Shangun. So I think that's a real positive. On the other hand, well, how do you build a really good defense with Shangun and Bencaro on the court at the same time? Is that, is that possible? You get them both in dream school. Dream school? Like uh, we're going to get Akeem to transform? You know, that, that's one of those things people say all the time. Well, Akeem works with it. Akeem meets guys who play for the Rockets. And sometimes he gets on the court for an hour or two, which is great. You know, that's wonderful to have that access to him. But it's not like Akeem is going to practice every day and turning anyone into Akeem. You know, there's one Akeem. And this has been sort of a thing said for, oh, almost, I guess, 20 years now since, uh, you know, tomorrow makes 20 years since the lottery that the Rockets won for Yao Ming. People have been saying for twenty years, get a team to work with them, work with the guys. Uh, no, Shangun is Shangun, and no, no, Akeem doesn't even feel like he can turn anyone into Akeem defensively. And you know, for one thing, it's been a long time since Akeem was that, and no one has been since. I mean, defensively, I always go back to uh, Akeem came back one of my first years on the beat. He came back from some injury. And uh, he, he had some game, I think it was in Cleveland. And I said something to Rudy, man, to watch a real center, the guy who can make, you miss the shot and then go get the rebound. And, it, and Rudy laughed and said, that's not a real center. That's Akeem. Akeem can do that. Other people can't. Nobody can do that. And so, or the Dennis Lindsay line, Akeem ruined me for scouting forever. All I could see is centers, what they don't have. Because I'd spent so much time watching Akeem. Uh, and that's that a funny thing. In some ways, he's an anachronism. He, he's a center of the 80s and 90s. You know, low post. Give me the ball. That's the position. That's center. That's on me. But defensively, my gosh, if you put him in the modern defenses now, he, he would be a monster. He was a monster then. He would be a different kind of monster now. But yeah, you said the magic word. And once you, you say, Akeem, you get me going. I will, as we start to wrap things up and get back to the lottery, as Clay Allen, I've written about this a couple of times, as Clay Allen was in the drawing room for the official lottery, his good luck charm was the notes that Rudy Tomjanovich brought to the Akeem uniform number retirement ceremony and that he left on the podium and Clay Allen, the Rockets General Council, snagged him. And so that was his good luck charm. If the Rockets are in the lottery again next year, you know, yeah, maybe some are disappointed they didn't get the first pick. I guarantee Clay Allen is back in that room and those notes are in his pocket again. 
because the Rockets can view the result last night. They didn't win, but they kind of feel like they won because they can be happy with what they will get. Uh, I think it'll be Ben Caro. Uh, obviously, you do as well, but it's definitely not a sure thing. It would be very interesting. And that's the other thing is if it's Ben Caro on draft night, all right, got the guy who might be the best player right now in the draft. And if it's not, it's Holmgren or Smith, and people are real happy with that. So I, I guess last night's a, a lucky break. And, you know, you were talking about omens earlier. The fourth ping pong ball was number three, which got them the third pick. So maybe it was all meant to be. There we there go. You go. Is that a reach? That's, that's a reach. I don't think they're going to do a, a slogan, we're number three. Hey, number three is better than number 30. And that's what they were in the league this year. So, you know, they're moving on up. All right, we'll end with that. The Rocket fans have to be happy, I think. I know the Rockets are happy. Hey, they haven't gotten to be that when the scores were up on the scoreboard very often. So take it when you can. Uh, That's the draft lottery from Chicago. And I'll head out to the combine after this. This is Jonathan Fagan with Danielle Lerner once again. Thanks for being with us on the Texas Sports Nation Rockets podcast. Uh, We'll be back with you throughout the draft process. Thanks again.